Picture this, the fertile soil soaked in the blood of warriors, of people, of the great Incan Empire. The sky was tinged red with the setting sun. The wind rustled, restlessly fidgeting with the bloodied grass. As clouds trailed along the sky, it was silent. A village burned in the distance, and the light of its flames flickered on the bodies strewn across the fields. Pale faces covered in blood twitched and looked at each other smiling. White men. Spanish men. They pulled struggling women out of their hiding places and dragged them along as they cackled. Their scarred hands tainted in blood. They sighed, satisfied in completing their king's orders. Their god's orders. A gray people, the pride and joy of South America, were dust. The men clamored and yelled heartily, soon joined by the women they dragged with them. But under it all, silence. The very world seemed to hold its breath. The white men had come. People shivered, caught in a terrible sense of foreboding. And night was setting in. This is episode two of the podcast Join the Madness. This is brought to you by the IA. taking you along the history of discrimination in Lima, Peru, and its manifestations in today's society. The Inca Empire was conquered by the Spanish in 1532. Peru stayed under Spanish rule for more than 300 years. The Spanish exploited the natives, forcing them to work on deadly underground mines, work plowing the land under the baking sun, and weave textiles until their fingers bled. Unsurprisingly, the indigenous population dropped drastically during these years. So, unfazed, our virtuous Spanish overlords brought in African slaves to continue their work. As Peru was turned into a Spanish colony, indigenous populations, African slaves, and Spanish conquistors learned to coexist. A hierarchy was established. First came los españoles, the Spanish, born and raised in the superior European land. Then, los criollos, Spanish-born in the dirty, uncultured New World. They were followed by los mestizos, a mix between Peruvians and Spanish. Then came los indios, native Peruvians, and finally los negros, the African slaves and los mulatos, a mix between Peruvian natives and African slaves. So was life in this bustling Spanish colony across the sea. The Spanish king sent minions to rule the land in his name, Virreyes, Viceroyalty. So did the Viceroyalty in Peru start? Picture this. The tavern was bursting with people. Pale people. Tall, brave youths that yelled and chortled in the hazy air of the bar. News ran wild here, from mouth to mouth, of the king. King Fernando VII, a meek little lamb who was a puppet in the hands of the French. People were beginning to talk. Why ought we stay here? Under the control of a king across the sea? Spain is weakened. Too busy fighting the French. This is our chance to fight back! Young patriots, eager to fight for a greater purpose. 
second grade citizens to their families, as they were born in American soil, fiery, naive, and eager, European, ready to fight for riches and glory, ready to fight for status. As another great holder rung through the crowd, echoing in the night air. On the 28th of July of 1821, Don José San Martín, an Argentinian general, proclaimed Peruvian independence. Spain still occupied Peru at the time, but after two decisive battles, Simón Bolívar, another general famously nicknamed El Libertador, the Liberator, officially gained Peruvian independence. This newfound freedom did little to quell the practices of abuse and exclusion towards ethnic minorities, which was ingrained and normalized in colonial society. And it didn't just stop at ideology either. They remained in lower and more impoverished positions, on top of dealing with exclusion and disdain from others. Imagine this, a young country struggling to lift itself up. Dictator follows dictator, as the very people that fought for freedom have no idea how to maintain that freedom. After the king's loyal subjects fled or watered the soil with their blood, a decimated capital was left to struggle. As the Spanish rule had begun at its peak in Peru, it was here where the local residents had the least amount of power. This resulted in a weak government that didn't know how to rule a country. Indigenous people and Afro-Peruvians, who had continuously been at a disadvantage educationally, economically, and socially, continued as they had before. This is why the main people in power still continued to belong, for the most part, to European families. Throughout history, ethnic minorities have been discriminated against consistently. This pattern, which can be traced to the colonization of South America, has continued in our modern-day society. This is not a secret to the general public. As a national survey found that 81% agreed that discrimination occurs all the time, and nothing is done about it. The problem is that this discrimination has become so ingrained in our very culture that it's nearly become invisible. Two research papers concluded that the discrimination in this country is characterized by normalization and denial by people involved, often even the victim. It is an accumulation of small acts that build on one another. The result is the opposite of blatant discrimination. It's subtle. It's small. It's infectious. Maybe this explains why a government survey conducted in 2013 found that while 53% of its population agreed they live in a racist country, only 8% consider themselves racist. It's not an individual problem, but a systematic one. We have become desynthesized to the everyday discrimination we face. This makes it hard to combat this problem. It's like fighting an invisible enemy. It's like fighting culture itself. But that does not mean it's impossible. Cultures change. They evolve. And it is our time to take control and make a change. Don't continue to be a bystander. If you ignore the problem, you are part of it. You reinforce its place in our country, in our culture. Stop avoiding confrontation. Stop pretending the problem isn't there. Square up, soldier. Speak out for those who can't. Confront the racism you see everywhere.
picture this. Two young girls stuck at home with too much time to think. They're scared and guilty. They now reflect on all the times they may have been part of the problem or missed a chance to make a change and went along with the status quo. They worry first, unsure on how to change something that seems so normalized and ignored. They anxiously think, trying to figure out how to find the bravery to confront the people around them. They write and record a podcast, trying to find the answer by incentivizing others. They sigh and turn off their microphones. They found their answers. They found their strength. They're going out there and facing it head on.